Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algeman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Today, I'm joined by Peter Kazadoy. Peter is an Inc. 5000 serial entrepreneur, TEDx speaker, the author of Honest to Greatness, and a business coach who works with organizations and their leaders to help them overcome self-limiting bullshit and use honesty to achieve greatness. His articles on leadership and entrepreneurship have appeared in Forbes, Inc., Huffington Post, PR Daily, and more. Peter, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Anthony. Thanks for having me. So, Peter, we've got a lot to talk about today, and we were just talking uh, before going on air to um, you know, plan some of that. But you know, why don't you just take a couple minutes, introduce some folks out there to p- folks who may not have seen you before. Um, what's, what's your story, and, and how did you start doing what you're doing today? Sure. So my story is best summed up by a redheaded male figure skater transitions to uh, international entrepreneur. And uh, although it sounds sort of smooth as I say it, trust me, there were a lot of bumps in the road and falling on my ass and so on and so <laughs> forth. Uh, you know, the I started my after training as a very serious figure skater for uh, about 15 years. I was convinced I was going to go to the Olympics. Turns out the Olympics did not want me as badly as I wanted it. Um, and after that, I, I sort of did a little drifting and soul searching and uh, out of college, uh, started my first company with my business partner, which was a video production company, uh, had very little idea what we were doing, spent a couple of years bouncing along the bottom uh, in poverty, making $800 television commercials for local car dealers, which is exactly as glamorous as it sounds, Anthony. <laughs> And uh, through many pivots, we eventually uh, got into the agency game, became a full-service marketing agency, and eventually mm. took that to the Inc. 5000 list for a couple years in a row. And, and then, uh, you know, I'll save the, the rest of my trials and tribulations for, <laughs> for the next chapter. But, uh, you know, fast forward now, I've gotten pretty passionate about using brutal honesty to help organizations and leaders primarily get out of their own way and understand what it is that makes for successful outcomes in a world with near-complete transparency. I see. So, so how did you find this? I mean, like, I, I was going to make a joke, like the the classic story of figure skater turned, you know, honest guru. A thousand times, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. Classic children's tale, right? And so, like, yeah. how did you how did you make that pivot? Was it what you were studying in in undergrad, or or how was it that, that you realized that this is is your passion, what you were going to um, dedicate your career towards? Yeah. You know, in the spirit of vulnerability, Anthony, the first thing is I'm a pain in the ass. You know, nobody wants me to work for them. I always want to know why. I always think I can do it better. Mm -hmm. And figure skating is a solo sport. You know, Mm -hmm. once you go out and fall in front of a thousand people on the cold, wet ice, wearing tights, nothing else is difficult. (laughs) That is the pinnacle of of yeah. difficulty. So, you know, a- after that, I, to your point, you know, I went to uh, Brandeis, studied uh, in all my elective courses I could possibly take. I ended up at the business school studying all these business courses. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed so orderly to me. I was like, oh, this makes sense. Revenues, profits, operations, you know, spreadsheets. Yeah, I, I got this. I can do this. Um, and I always knew I could do it better. So the, the, twin uh, double-edged sword of being an entrepreneur is it's great because you think you can do it better. And the downside is you think you can do it better. So you actually have to put your money where your mouth is and go and do it. So, uh, you know, as I said, so we, <laughs> the longer story is um, I got out and I was working for my now business partner uh-huh. in his figure skating stores. And we came up with this brilliant idea that, you know, dancing with the stars had taken off. And we were like, well, 
Figure skating's way more popular. It is by far the most watched Olympic sport. It always has been. So we were like, why don't we just go make a TV show about figure skating that'll help the overall business? Well, 2008 hit. Mm. <laughs> That's exactly when I graduated, which is, you know, a wonderful, wonderful thing to do, right? Graduate in the middle of an apocalypse. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, that sank us tens of thousands of dollars into debt making this pilot. And that's when we actually pivoted into video production using the resources that we had pulled together to uh, to make some money. You know, yeah. that's basically how it started and then grew from there. Yeah, well, and it's, it's, it's nice to have that kind of transition between the thing that you've been doing for so long that you love to do and this profession that can be applied in a lot of different ways to to folks that need it. And that's where like figure skating has a limited market, even though it's it's gets this this every four years, it gets into this extreme focus. Mm -hmm. It's applicability to every other day is is limited. But if you can take that video production component that you had and start to apply it for other clients, then things start to go and, and, and you're able to, to grow upon that. So that makes a lot of sense. And that's, that's actually an interesting um, journey to, to where you are now, because you're talking about this, this brutal honesty about this, you know, how do leaders elevate themselves to a point where they can truly be trusted? Because I think trust right now in leadership circles is as, uh, prominent as, as potentially any topic we're talking about today. Um, and so I know you've got a book coming out on this, um, and that's the um, the Honest to Greatness uh, book is, is launching in August, um, and, and we will um, you know, definitely include a, a link to where you can order or pre-order that book um, in the show notes, so check out that. Um, but what, because I've, I've also written a book, and it is not something that I would call a fun experience in a lot of ways. Like it is a brutally painful experience going through it. And, and, and there's a, there's a, there's an element because you were, you kind of touched on it about this. Like, I think I can do this better than a lot of folks in a certain way. And you have to grab hold of that to motivate you to go and do this day in and day out, because it is a slog to get a book done. It is, it is difficult. It is painful. And there's not under most, circumstances a, a a very likely payout in, in terms of financial rewards directly from it uh, for almost anybody and so you've really got to care and and so how did you realize that writing a book was that step that you needed to take and, and what was that process like although I feel like I'm leading the witness a little bit on how I think about a book but I, I want to hear your story about getting that done and now being at this precipice of, of launching it and getting it in people's hands which will be an amazingly rewarding experience for you I'm sure well I, I wish I had talked to you before I started Anthony because yes what I found is what exactly you know exactly what you've said it has been a horrendously difficult challenging process um, and, and I asked for it. So, you know, what happened was I, uh, I had a very terrible tragedy happen to me, which is that I turned 30. I don't know if this has happened to you. Has this happened to you? <laughs> oh, yes. It was just, oh my God. 30, I don't know what it was about that age, but I just like cruised into 30 and I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, what have I done with my life now? Now, let me be clear. I mean, by that point I had built a million dollar business. I just married my amazing wife. We were moving in and, and flipping a house. Like for all intents and purposes, life was perfectly fine. But mm -hmm. I just had this, this gigantic weight arrive on my shoulders that told me that there was a lot more that I had in me and that I needed to do. And one of those was writing a book. You know, if you just ask me at my core, honestly, you know, who am I? Author comes to mind. And, you know, as I, as I do with my 
students who are entrepreneurs. It's like when you deny those things and take yourself out, out of what I call honest alignment, it's just always going to, na- to nag at you. And I knew I didn't want that for myself. So mm-hmm. turn 30, decide I'm going to write a book. Fine. I sat down actually, Anthony, to write a marketing book. Um, I never set out to write about, speak about, or frankly, even care about honesty. Like this is all a surprise to me. And we'll, we'll get to, to why in a moment. I sat down to write a marketing book because I was fascinated over the course of our career. And, you know, as a marketing agency, we've worked with local startups all the way up to Fortune 500s and even Warren Buffett himself. And I was fascinated by the leaders and organizations who took our growth strategies and just crushed it. I mean, they'd get like a five, six times ROI, stay with us for years, loved it. Other organizations that we'd give the same care and attention, same strategies, same, you know, everything, they would just blow up on the launch pad. could not get out of their own way, descended into infighting and politics. And it was just like, what in the world is happening? And I used to chalk it up to stupidity. Like, Mm. wow, this is a room full of dum-dums. Of course, they're not, right? That was my own stupidity. No executive who has risen through the ranks to become who they are is an idiot. But what I did find is perhaps even worse, which is that executives can rise to a level of dishonesty. Yeah. And what do I mean by that? Well, they get dishonest about what's going on in the world and how they need to adapt and change and communicate so they're not tone deaf. They need to get honest about the people around them, right? Who really has the answers in their organization? What are the frontline employees saying? What are the prospects saying? How are consumer trends shifting? And finally, honest with themselves, you know, with their own biases and self-limiting beliefs as a leader. And I have seen many of them, Anthony, over the years. And so I, I got fascinated by this idea and couldn't quite put my finger on it until I had my own crisis of honesty at 30 Mm -hmm. and realized, okay, this isn't just about business. This is about how to, how to do anything in life, right? It has to start with honesty. Who am I really, what am I really trying to do? So I write this marketing book about communication and I query a bunch of agents, many of whom got back to me and said, this is complete garbage and you'll never be a published author ever. And I got one, luckily, who signed me. And as soon as he signed me, he turned around. He was like, hey, by the way, um, this isn't a book about marketing. It's a book about like honesty, honesty in business, society, culture, leadership. And I was like, okay, thank you. But, you know, clearly I hired a moron because you didn't even look at the cover page. This is clearly a marketing book. Um, And of course, I went home and I'm flipping through it. And I was like, okay, well, wrong again. He's exactly right. This is, has, you know, yes, will this crush it for your marketing? Yes, but also your sales, your operations your strategy, your finance, your culture, your people, everything permeates everything. It is the way forward. Why? Because we can't do anything unless we start from a place of brutal honesty. What's really going on? What do I really want? These very elementary uh, decisions and self-talk that all leaders need to return to unless they want to end up like, you know, I give the, the example in my TED talk of Blockbuster and Netflix, you know, the executives of Blockbuster sat around thinking, no, I think we can do things the same old way. Mm. People love paying late fees, don't they? Well, they were wrong. And uh, the folks at Netflix have laughed all the way to the bank. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just, I was sitting here just enraptured in your story because I so know that journey of starting out in a direction you think you're going to head in with a book and then realizing that what you needed to create was something else. And it, it, 
in my own journey with my my own book, I had started thinking about, okay, how could I add something to this world of data management that I was doing all of the speaking and, and consulting in? And it, and it occurred to me that my place was in helping organizations realize the potential of their data systems, their data capabilities from a business context. And I felt that there was a missing link there in so much of what was out there. And that was what had had motivated me. So it's it's interesting because you said, you know, this is a marketing book, but what you ended up writing was something that was much bigger than that, much different. And and really that's how you have to do it. Like you have to just go out and and find your voice through that pain. But as it comes out, as you're able to to reach new folks, I mean, it happens to me. My book's been out less than a year. And, and you know, when people come up to me and say, Anthony, your book really helped me in something that you know, I just couldn't put my finger on. Otherwise, it is it is the best feeling in the world. It makes all of that pain of getting it done, um, you know, worthwhile. And 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 so sure. you're 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 not at that point yet, yet, but you but you will be soon. But um, yeah, wait until you get that the forty level. That one's going to be a, a, a lot more fun. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'll survive. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh. But yeah, I feel like um, there's there's definitely some um, you know, some similarities there. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about um you know this this notion of of honesty and, and leadership because i think that um you know, there's some good examples of where people have lost their way and i think that we're seeing that today i mean we're we're recording this in the midst of the pandemic and and you see how different organizations have taken different approaches to what they're doing and there's a lot of visibility it seems like there's a lot of people right now that don't have a whole lot more to do than just read the news and comment about it on social media and yeah. everything becomes very um transparent very quickly it seems right now and and so you know as as people listen to this and or watch our our interview today you know, what should they know about honesty and leadership? How do they, like most people I think think they're relatively honest, but how do they gauge for themselves whether or not they're they're treating honesty as the correct ingredient in the, in the correct way for what they're doing in their particular role? Yeah, such a good question, Anthony. I actually just wrote my newsletter today about this very topic, which is, and this, this the savvy podcasters like yourself ask this question. It's like, well, everybody thinks they're honest naturally, right? No one walks around thinking, well, I, I did a good job being an absolute liar today. Like that's not the way we operate, right? We make decisions and have thoughts around thinking that we're naturally right. What I profile in my book is that over and over again, the CEOs of Sprint and Quicken Loans and the Ritz-Carlton and Domino's Pizza and Bridgewater Associates, the largest hedge fund in the world, they always have, they, they have something very unique in common, which is three little words. I don't know. They operate from this place of ignorance is power, knowledge is bliss, not the other way around. And they're always in this state of, I have no idea. Now, this is not to say they're not confident. You can have no idea what to do, but still be confident that one is probably better than another, right? That's different. What this is, is a real admission that I really don't know because I'm not there, because I don't have that person's perspective. These are people who speak from the I instead of you. You, know, you never hear them say you should do something because they don't know what you should do. They might share an experience relevant to them, say, this is what I did. Maybe that'll help, maybe not. So it really is about this, this perspective of sitting back. And, and Anthony, we know this because if I gave you a, a dinner scene, right, and, and had you watch people around the table talking, and then at the end of the, the scene, I said, Anthony, which of these people is the wisest one? 
invariably, you would look for the person who did not speak, who sat back and listened and observed. So, because we have this thing, we know in society, that's the thing, right? So that's why I could, you know, when I look through all the boardrooms that I've been a part of, I can tell you right off the bat whether the leader is a good leader or not. Because a great leader is like the person in the middle of a, a ping pong match. They're just passing the ball from one person to another. What do you think? What do you think of that? How do, is that true? How do we know? Is that true? How do we know? Where are you getting your data from? Back to data, right? How do we know it's valuable? What is it saying? If it weren't saying that, what would, you know, great questions. Uh, whereas the leaders in the organizations I've seen tank over and over again are the ones who are so busy talking, so busy in their internal dialogue that they're steamrolling right over the truth time and time again. So one of the best things folks out there can do in a leadership position, and by the way, everyone is in a leadership position, whether they're in an authority position or not, I want to make that distinction clear, yeah. is just to sit back, listen and ask, is that true? And how do we know? How do I know? You know, just that perspective. And I, I have a whole chapter in my book around like managing from the middle, because I think that's actually the most difficult part, right? It's easy from a top down, you know, to say like, all right, we're going to cut the bullshit. We're going to be more honest now. Yeah. Here are the ways we're going to do that. And everyone will fall in line because that's their job. From the middle, it's very difficult. You know, how do you get around a boss who's a gatekeeper instead of someone who empowers? Mm -hmm. And one of the ways to do it is to ask better questions. Be honest about other people around you. Be honest about what they're going through, particularly your boss. What are their priorities? What's their outlook? And so often we have this, this thing where we butt heads because we haven't taken the time to deeply understand where other people are coming from. And you look around at society today at all of the biases and inequalities and, and you know, horrendous discrimination we have, we see that play out. You know, the refusal for us to understand that we all want the same things as human beings and we can actually get to common ground by asking really good open-ended questions and being open-minded. It just comes back, Anthony, to just being honest about, I don't, I don't know. Tell me. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's sage wisdom. And, and, and it's refreshing to hear it put that way because it seems easy or it seems like it's often forgotten uh, in, in a lot of contexts these days. And, and I think that's, um, you know, very important for us all to, to remember. And, and I just think about the arc of my career, and I've got a few years on you, um, but having seen it from you know a consultant position or from an executive position or from you know the, the you know, lower levels in an organization, and, and realizing that the more I've learned and the more I've done, and, and the bigger you know my my reputation of being an expert has become the more I realize I don't know. And that sounds so cliche. It's almost laughable, but it is so true. And mm -hmm. it is absolutely, like you said, Peter, it's, it's different than confidence. It's not a lack of confidence. It's realizing that you can see further. I like to think a lot about blinders. Like we all have blinders, things that we That's can right. focus on in front of us, things that we are, are in our field of vision and things that are just beyond that are way beyond that. And you're always trying to widen that view. You're trying to get in more perspective and more understanding of things things that, that you didn't previously have. And the more you see, the more you can make reasonable strategic choices to say, okay, this is the direction we probably should head. And that's while recognizing you know so little compared to what you would ideally have. And that genuine curiosity comes from that and, and letting that drive you to towards making those best decisions possible. And, and to like what you said is we're all leaders. We all should be doing these things regardless of whether or not we're in a position of authority right now. And I think that some of the most influential 
folks can often be you know with very limited authority or no authority at all i mean as That's as right. a consultant yourself you you come into an organization and you may have you know a, a loud megaphone but you have no authority of making those changes it's it's up to you to convince folks that your ideas or or to hear their ideas and say here's here's where the best ideas lie that's the role that that you play and so one of the things that I, I would like to talk to you about, um, and this, you know, we're, we're, we're blasted through this, uh, the time that we have, and I want to make sure we get to some of these things. Um, you know, one of the things that you do uh, professionally is, is help organizations uh, manage their PR crises. So when things happen outside of their control, or maybe they have a data breach, or maybe they have something um, that comes up that all of a sudden they need to respond to. And this is something that, especially right now, it seems like it's it's all over the news where people will have something that uh, they've posted in social media in the past. One of their executives have posted there, or, or you know, sports figures or celebrities or whomever has a social media post that they long for forgot that has not aged well, you know, and, and has is being looked at through today's lens and fairly or unfairly is a debate for another day. But it is certainly a PR crisis now. So I have a couple questions for you on this. One is what do people do when that happens or what is good advice when something like that happens? It's like this is the immediate thing to do. And then two, like what for those of us who haven't had that kind of problem happen, what should we be thinking about or just do preventatively to make sure that we're being honest with who we are now, who we were previously, how, you know, things that we may have put on social media could be misread or misconstrued or weren't intended for a wider audience that we may have never thought we were going to have. And now all of a sudden we do. So um, what are your, what are your thoughts on these things? I have a, I know there's a few questions I just threw at you. So let's back up and understand how this type of thing happens in the first place, right? The world used to operate on the basis of information asymmetry. That's a fancy way of saying companies used to have information that consumers did not, right? They could have been polluting the environment in Nigeria and mistreating their workers in the Philippines. Nobody knows, right? Today, we have to assume that everyone knows. I mean, you look at the horrendous murder of George Floyd that happened a few weeks ago now. That was horrendous because in part, we could all see it for our own eyes, right? That's why it had the reaction that it did and, and with good reason. But if you think about that, you know, if that had happened 50 years ago, maybe a handful of people would have known and that's it. Now, fortunately, because we can see the video, there's video, there's audio, everyone around the world can know about it and now take action to prevent that hopefully from happening ever again. So if you know you look at the scandals that have occurred on the uh, public side or private side, you know Wells Fargo fake account scandal, uh, college admissions scandal, diesel uh, Volkswagen admissions scandal, right? I mean, like all of these things, the truth is going to come out. Like those executive photos that they took in college and they were half drunk. Like we should probably assume they're all coming out, right? Here's the thing: let's look at Domino's Pizza and what they did little over 10 years ago now, you know, in 2008, 2009, they realized they had a problem independent of the financial crisis. And that was that their customers were saying their pizza didn't taste very good. In fact, they even put their pizza in the boxes of their competitors. And the customer said, oh, yeah, I actually like that better. Same pizza. So that didn't just mean the pizza was bad. They had a brand problem too, right? They yeah. just had problems. And so what did Domino's do? Well, they got together and they said, well, we need to make changes, right? We need to improve our pizza. Now they could have just done that, Anthony, 
and then put out an ad being like, hey, our pizza's better now. Come in and, and grab some. But they didn't. Instead, they put their CEO on national television to say, uh, hey, everyone, uh, turns out that our pizza sucks. I'm sorry. You deserve better than that. And we're going to fix it. Okay. And by the way, go to YouTube because we've published all these videos of focus groups and customers saying that our pizza sucks. And we're going to keep having those until the opinion changes. Well, if you had taken stock of that honesty, Anthony, and said, damn, this is an organization that's brutally honest about where it's at, brutally honest about what they need to do and transparent enough to show us that they're doing it. If you had bought their stock at that point, you would have had an over 3000% return over the next 10 years. 3000% would have made you a millionaire. Okay. And all you had to do was see that they were willing to be honest. Now, let's talk about what Volkswagen did, right? When their diesel emissions scandal came out, right? They falsified all these reports. Now, they could have done the same thing. What do they do? I don't, nothing. I don't, sorry, we'll do better next time. And we don't know, right? So now they're just left with this giant scar. Imagine if the executives had come out and said, well, it looks like we're a bunch of assholes. We're really sorry. We shouldn't have done that. Um, but we did. People make mistakes and obviously we're people with flaws. So here's what we're going to do now. We've got this entire process and plan. We want you to come in, tape our meetings, see how we're talking about this. We want to show you the changes we're making to our processes so that you know we are going to do everything we can to make sure this doesn't happen again. And if you still don't trust us, that's okay. But we want you to know we're trying. Imagine if they had come out with something like that. It would have been like, oh, all right. Well, hey, they did a bad thing. That was bad. But at least they're honest, right? We have that phrase in the English language for a reason. And that's why it works. It's all back to the interpersonal. Because the thing about social media is we can see into the windows of companies. We know what they're doing. We can go see what their employees are saying on glassdoor.com. There's no reason to hide anything. So in that situation, you're retreating to corporate speak or the ivory tower. It, it just doesn't work. It doesn't have any, any currency for us. Because if you and I, Anthony, got into something, what would we do? We'd get on a Zoom call and we'd have this conversation. Anthony, I'm sorry. I know I messed up. I, I have no excuses, right? But I'm, I'm going to do better for you. Hey, here's, here are the ways that I'm going to do that for you. And I hope we can rebuild trust again. Very simple, right? And if, as, if we as people and executives can come back to that interpersonal, you know, if executives can come out and say, yeah, that photo leaked, that was a problem. Let me tell you about how stupid I was when I was 20 years old and this happened. And the, the, of course, the world was different, but that's no excuse. But more importantly, I was different. You have no reason to trust me on that, which is why I'm going to be much more transparent with you and who I am now. Give you access to me, whether that's through video interviews or whatever. That's the way forward. And it won't work for everyone every time because some people don't forgive. But the majority of people will say, at least you're honest, at least you're trying. And that can go a long way, a much farther way, by the way, than saying nothing at all, which is just not acceptable anymore in a world where you can access me on 50 different apps at any given time. There's just no excuse for not saying anything. Yeah, well, and this is, see, this is where this notion of honesty and this this notion of transparency dovetails with what we talk about in data leadership because it is all about transparency it's all about it and i often say data is the closest thing to truth we have in our organizations you know this is about making things more transparent, making our own businesses more transparent to us is how we use a lot of the data in our organizations. But again, and, and I just, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the, the George Floyd 
incident and, and, and murder because the video is what makes it transparent for us. Yeah. And it's highlighted that so much is not transparent despite an opportunity to be more transparent. And I think that was, and it's, it's part if and probably not the main part, but, but part of the, the outrage is because how many times do we have to have something that's been brushed under the rug by somebody come out and become front and center and fully in view. And now all of a sudden action gets taken. It shouldn't, it, that shouldn't wait for that. And, and we shouldn't allow things that can be more transparent um, to continue to hide. And I think that's true um, when we think in a, in a macro context, when we think about police brutality and and the videotaping and, and things like that. But it's also true in that micro capacity as individuals, as uh, as as people working in our careers and who we are as as people in the end. And I think, um, you know, that to me is this is a lesson that goes way beyond data leadership. This is this is a humanity aspect that I think is something that um, you know, we should we should internalize for our own well-being as well as our organizational success. Like you well, don't do that. Totally. Anthony. I mean, that's what's made me so proud to write this book in a way that I didn't actually realize until this pandemic, until horrendous racial discrimination, you know, has all come to light. Because now I understand that this is a way forward for humanity, for society, as you were saying. Imagine a world in which we could all back up and adopt the I don't know. And in an open-ended, tell me what your experience on earth is like, because I, I want to learn. And to have honesty, be open-minded and willing to admit fault and ready to change and all of these things. Just imagine if we could breed a world of people who had this honest thought process. To your point, action takes place when transparency is had, right? When mm -hmm. we can see it, we act. This is the secret, not only for organizations who want to create innovative cultures and dominate their competitors, which I tell over and over in my book and give plenty of examples, but also to lead your family life, to lead your personal life, to have a better marriage, to raise better kids. I mean, it really, this is a fundamental thing that I should not have to write a book about. You and I should not have to do a podcast about be honest and honesty is the best policy. We learned this when we were four years old. And yet it just crushes me that the world doesn't function that way. And if I can help a couple people and companies and countries and, you know, and kids get there, then, you know, that'll be a job well done in my eyes. Yeah, no, that, that that's well said. And, and I feel like the more, you know, we, we think about transparency and honesty. And, and one thing I think about in, in data analysis, so I don't know how much uh, data, you know, deep data science or data analysis that you, you do personally, but, you know, there's this notion in, in like data warehousing of, of the single source of truth. And, and I think a lot about that being really dangerous because I don't like the idea of a single source of truth. I don't want to cast one beam of light on something and call that a job done. Like you do a lot of speaking, you've done a lot of, of theater type, you know, event type things to illuminate something. You need to shine light on it from a bunch of different directions. Totally. And that different kinds of direction, different perspectives and through the collection of subjective viewpoints, which all viewpoints are inherently subjective only through bringing all of those together can we get to real transparency can we get to real truth and and i think that you know we cannot think of things in data or in terms of honesty or in terms of leadership as a as a black and white issue it's not a binary construct it is a you know much more shades of gray much more nuanced 
type of understanding. And that is where it comes back to this willingness to say, I don't know. A lot of the decisions that leaders at any level have to deal with are nuanced, are confusing, aren't always clear because there's a lot of different perspectives that you have to somehow filter in and then still manage to do something about, like take an action of some sort, because otherwise you'll just sit there and, and the world will happen to you or your organization. And, and that's not a recipe for success either. I couldn't have said it better myself. In fact, one of the biggest points I make right up front in the book is like, honesty is not just telling it like it is. It's not just blurting out whatever's on your mind. Like that's one very small piece. In fact, that's rarely the way forward. Instead, it is this very nuanced, multiple perspective kind of thing. And I talk about perspective a lot in the book and perspective taking and keeping. And how do you get all those minds working together versus in, in silos? But you know, to your point about data, uh, one of the best courses I took at Columbia Business School was the data analytics course. And I was struck not only by the number of ways we learned to manipulate data in order to provide you know, outcomes and insights, but also the number of ways that data get manipulated by people who are subjective, who have biases. Who, I mean, we went over time after time, New York Times graph, uh, corporate uh, you know, 10K report, you know, over and over and over again, ways that data can get manipulated and displayed to lead people astray. <laughs> One of the biggest things I talk about is framing you know, as a method for being dishonest. And all through the pandemic, I was watching these news headlines, like deaths soar to a thousand today and thinking to myself, you know, if they had written a headline that was deaths still at 0.0001% of population, it would have been just as true without maybe some of the fear mongering and other, you know, and, and I don't mean to say that the news should, you know, make headlines that are this way or that way. What I do mean is I want everyone to be wise to how they are being persuaded, how, you know, things like numbers can be manipulated to steal and, and divert their mind share. That's part of being honest too. In fact, in the honesty quiz on my website, uh, you know, I give you 21 questions and many of them are, where do you get your news sources from? And how much do you dive behind these reports to actually understand the truth and what's going on? Because a lot of it is subjectivity leading subjectivity. Oh, yeah. And and <laughs> I've because uh, you're in my world now. And that is something that is, you know, it, it, it's crazy to me how just erroneous the conclusions can be made from from data to to prove a point or how they oh, can yeah. be selective in improving a point what terrifies me even more are the people who have no idea that they're doing it and yes. it's and it's rampant and yeah. you know the i think to your point around the data analytics class to me one of my most influential classes that i took in in my graduate school program was the marketing research class where I learned how to do things like conduct a focus group or write a survey. And it opened my eyes to just how badly they are done everywhere and yep. how slanted surveys can become from somebody who just wrote some questions sloppy. And and that can get perpetuated by people who don't know better that just pull in the results and, and it's just snowballs. And so becoming a, a data analyst and, and using data proactively requires you to filter through so much nonsense, just like listening to people talk, you know, like it, yeah. it's, it's about the same level of trustability and which is not a technical term, uh, but, but it really is, you know, something that can be highly inaccurate 
despite the person who hands it to you thinking this is dead on right. You know, that is it is a it is a terrifying thing in, in all of those contexts. While we still have a couple minutes, I really want to talk just a little bit about, you know, we're currently in this pandemic, like you mentioned. And, you know, this I don't think I, I, I'm going to lead the witness on this one. The, the, I don't think the pandemic the pandemic fundamentally changes what leaders should do or should be or, or you know how they should approach challenges. But I imagine there may be some things that we need to do tactically to communicate more effectively, given that everybody's at social distance level or more. Right. So well, what are those yeah. things that um, you know the pandemic's impacted in terms of how leaders should interact or or you know be more honest in, in what they're doing. I mean, one thing's for sure, this pandemic was a masterclass in how not to be a leader. <laughs> I mean, if you look back to what we were going through in like March, beginning of April, it was pandemonium. Yeah. You had news outlets capitalizing on all these eyeballs and it was just fear, fear, fear all the time. You had different politicians at the federal and state levels saying different things at different times with conflicting rules I mean, it was a mess. Yeah. So one of the things that, well, one, how do I pick just one, right? One of my biggest regrets for the leaders during that time is that there, even if there was a playbook, which I think I've heard there was, we didn't follow it, right? And so step one is like, what happened here? Like, why didn't we follow some sort of playbook? You know, it's very difficult for people everywhere, myself included, to believe that we had thought about this in advance. And then when the time came, we were just like, eh, who needs a playbook? You know, who needs process? I guess we, we just won't do that. That single failure creates a cascading effect of distrust. And once we lose people's trust, we can't possibly ask them to do anything and have them take a unified action. And in a case of a pandemic, the only thing that matters is trust and unified action. Otherwise, there's no stopping this thing. And so when you look at what's occurred now, right, you look at the death rates dropping, you know, we're in, we're recording this end of June, right? Mm -hmm. Summer's coming, of course, flu-like, you know, epidemics always tamp down during the summer and warm months. Uh, so, you know, unsurprisingly, we're okay, though now there are a lot of states rising. Part of the problem here is that there was so much pandemonium over the course of the spring so much distrust created with so many alternative facts out there. Even if we saw drastically rising cases now, honestly, Anthony, I don't think the majority of people would listen. Hmm. I think they're kind of done. They're like, no, enough with that. You know, we weren't sure we were doing the right thing to be in lockdown to begin with. Now I still don't know because people are saying conflicting things still. So, you know, in a world where we don't know who to trust, we revert back to our own experiences. Well, in my experience, I don't know anyone who's died of COVID. And in my experience, I haven't gotten sick yet, so it must be fine, right? Now, obviously, that can be a wildly dangerous assumption to make. But I don't think we can blame individuals who make that assumption because of everything they've gone through. In fact, that was another really sad thing that I saw happen over the course of the spring and late spring is that there, we were divided, again, like this country needs more you know, divisiveness, uh, over everyone who thought they should be, you know, wearing masks and social distancing, all this, these things. And then we see like images of people on the beach hanging out and going to pool parties in the Ozarks and all that. Mm -hmm. And it created this sort of vitriol between these two groups. And again, I, back to, I don't know, and open-ended questions. 
The wrong thing is, look at all those irresponsible people. I can't believe they're doing that. They must be stupid. They must, it's like, no, they're not stupid. They just lived through a time where there was no leadership leading them in an organized fashion through what they needed to do and why. This is what we know. This is what we don't know. This is why we need you all to take these actions right now and really carry them forward all together. In a world where we didn't have that kind of unification, it's not surprising that we have individuals taking an individualistic tact here and doing what they think is right for each individual person or household. So until we get, you know, if you think about the, in terms of honesty, like all the things I just talked through, until we get honest about, you know, how massive groups of people make decisions and honest, you know, with and about the people around us and their thought processes and how they follow leaders or don't, and then honest with ourselves about what we do know about those new news headlines and do know about, you know, what's coming out of this, these pharma companies and from our president. And like, there's just, there's honesty and dishonesty on so many sides. It turned into an unfortunate mess and it did not have to be this way, Anthony. It could have been very simple, very orderly if we just had better leadership from the beginning. Yeah. I think that those are some, some astute observations. And I think it, it is incumbent on all of us and, and our leadership uh, roles, however they are, to try to do our best in any context. We may not be trying to coach you know, uh, millions of people on what they should do during a pandemic, but we might be coaching five. We might That's be right. coaching 50 and, and helping to create a place where despite being absolutely willing to say we don't know, having the confidence to say based on what we don't know, based on what we think we know, based on what we know we know, this is the direction we should head in or we're going to head in and, and we're going to do our best and we're going to react to new information appropriately and we're going to be clear about it and we're going to be consistent about it and we're going, when we do need to change direction, we're going to be clear about that too and we're going to learn at this together and we're going to do the best we can. And and Well said. Where were you? You should have come on TV for it. <laughs> that was, yeah, that's exactly what we needed. So, but I think that, I mean, that's, the best advice I think we we can give ourselves at this point is to say, okay, how do we want to do it better in our own sphere of influence and, totally. and try to own that for, for what we can. So we're about out of time today, Peter. I really, this has been awesome. It's been great to hear your perspective on these things. And, and I think, I know for me, has has given me a lot of ideas to think about as I'm running teams and, and taking them forward and, and thinking about this, this strange time that we are definitely in. And sure so um, I really appreciate you. you being on the show today and and um, sharing that wisdom with with everybody, I'm sure it's it's v valuable to to everyone who listened to this. It's absolutely my pleasure. Come have an honest conversation with me at honesttogreatness.com. That's honest t o greatness.com. You can take the free honesty quiz, which in 21 questions will tell you how honest you really are if you're you know brave enough to know. And uh, book is out August 11th. Please buy a hardcover copy. I would love your support. And uh, you know then you can tell me if you think it's great or you think it's bullshit. Outstanding. Thank you, Peter. And thank you for watching or listening today. You'll find links and more information about today's topic in the show notes. Please remember to subscribe to our show on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Visit algman.com to learn more about Algman Data Leadership and the many ways we can help you become a data leader. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. <laughs>